I am so thankful that these guys use their gifts and talents to lead us in worship every week. It's good, isn't it? All right, so here's, here's we're going we're gonna to see this morning. Um, I guess this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this a challenge to see if we can do what moms do. Okay? Now, this, maybe that'll make sense and maybe it won't. That's okay. You'll love me anyway, right? I hope. So, you know moms have the ability to juggle like three or four or five things at once? You do know that. All the moms laughed and all the guys went, what? So I'm going to say it again. Moms have the ability to juggle two, three, four, five things at once, right? They're always like, I don't want to sound stereotypical, but they're always doing mom stuff in caring for either the kids or the home or work or whatever it is they do. And in addition to that, there's a bunch of things they're carrying internally that we typically know nothing about. And on top of that, all us guys are like, and you look pretty. You know, and so I'm just saying, moms have the ability to do more than two things at once. You know that, right? Right? So we're going to see if we can do more than two things at once today. We're going to listen to the sermon, and we're going to be greatly distracted by a little ball. Greatly distracted by a little ball. But we can do two things at once, can't we? All you moms are going to prove it. All right? So here's what we're going to do. I want you to take out the little... Uh, the little name tag that we put on your chair this morning. And if you put that name tag on yourself, that's totally okay. Uh, we like knowing your name, so that's all good. Um, I've had several suggestions like, oh, we should do this all the time. Like, oh, yeah, it's probably a good idea. But um, that said, I want you, I'm going to pass around little said ball, Sharpie pen. And what I want you to do this morning is I want you to write down something that you are thankful for about your mom. Now, if that's a very difficult exercise for you because of, of whatever's happened in history, I want you to thank God for something this morning. Does that, does that make sense? So you're just going to write down one thing you're thankful for about mom or about God or, or something. You're going to write down that one thing, and when the ball comes to you, um, and you can do it with your pen or you can do it with a marker pen, you're going to attach your one thing to the ball just like this, and you're going to pass it to the next person. We can do more than, more than one thing at a time, right? Right? So here's the ball. Here's the marker. Well, you're not going to throw it at me. No, I'm not. <laughs> All right. So we'll see how this, uh, how this grows and how this builds as we go along today. I'm going to call this the gratitude ball uh, because, because we are. So that said... I want you to think this morning about gratitude in relation to Mother's Day. It's natural that on Mother's Day, what are we saying to moms? We're saying, thank you. We're saying, we love you. We're saying, we celebrate you. Gratitude is a natural part of Mother's Day. And I find that in most moms, gratitude is a natural part of their, of their makeup. Of, of they're, they're, they're deeply thankful for their kids. All that said, I want to go to a little bit broader topic. You know, we've been in a series called Soul Care. And what I want to talk about today is the relationship of gratitude or thankfulness, giving thanks to our souls. 
And what I'm going to suggest to you, in fact, I put this in the email that we send out on Thursdays, our e-newsletter. If you don't get that, all you've got to do is tell us that on the communication card. We'll make sure you get that. If you're new, if you just fill out a communication card, we automatically add you to that list. If you don't like spam, you can, you can block us, all of that. So don't feel, we're not here to annoy you, right? But we want to make sure you have all the information that you get in the loop. And I said this week in the newsletter that gratitude is the secret weapon, or at least one of the secret weapons of soul care. We've been asking, how is your soul? And as we ask that, I notice in my own soul that when gratitude drifts away from me, that my soul is not in that great of a place. And when gratitude returns, that my soul feels stronger, feels fuller feels more complete. And so the question becomes, is gratitude something we feel that comes and goes like the tide? Or is gratitude something we choose that isn't a come and go thing at all? It's a conscious effort, a conscious choice. I would suggest to you, you would guess that it's a choice. Right? In fact, our little ball is going to prove that as it, make it makes its way around this morning. I read a story this week about two men walking through a field one day. I don't know why they were in this field, but they just were. And they saw a, a, an enraged bull not far off. And the bull had taken note of them. And so they began to run, which probably isn't always the wisest of things, because said bull saw two running men and thought, yeah, fun, right? Like chase. I mean, it's, it's like throwing a ball for a dog. It's, it's like, okay, game is on. So the bull began chasing the two men. And one of them said, hey, John, hey, man, put up a prayer for us. Like we're in for it. And John said, I can't. I, I don't pray publicly. I don't know any public prayers. And his friend said, but you must because the bull's catching up to us. John said, all right, but I'm going to say the only prayer I know, it's the one my father used to repeat at the food table over meals. He said, oh, Lord, for what we're about to receive, make us truly thankful. Yes, this reminds me of the bear story where I don't have to outrun, I don't have to outrun you, I, just, I don't have to outrun the bear, I just have to outrun you, you know? It, right? It has been written that Alex Haley, the author of Roots, had a, had a kind of different picture hanging on the wall in his office. It was a picture of a fence post, and on top of the fence post was a turtle. And so someone once asked him, why is that there? And he said, every time I write something significant, every time I read my words and I think that they're wonderful, or every time I begin to feel a little full of myself or proud of myself, I look at that turtle on top of the fence post, and I remember that... He didn't get there on his own, and neither did I. Now, there are always reasons in life to choose gratitude. But there are two reasons that I could think of, and there are probably a ton of reasons, but there are two reasons that sort of represent a, a, a spiral towards cynicism that happens in our hearts, two reasons that we often don't practice gratitude. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. I titled today's message, Gratitude is My New Attitude. 
And we'll be in Luke 17 most of the morning, although I have a few other verses of other places in the Bible here. But I want to give us right up front before we get to Luke 17, two reasons we don't practice gratitude, two natural ways that we spiral away from gratitude. Number one, today's gratitudes often become tomorrow's expectations. You've watched this unfold in your life, haven't you? That today I'm thankful, but I just expect it tomorrow, right? That, that, that what you have achieved today used to be something you prayed for, And yet today, it's just become so normal that it's just an everyday expectation. I think often we think we're too busy, but often I think it's not just busyness. It's, boy, it's a little painful for this early in the morning. Maybe we're too entitled that we begin to think we deserve. Or maybe we just forget about God and once these things in our life become expectations, we begin to take them for granted. The book of Deuteronomy reminds us that when the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, and when you eat and when you're satisfied, Deuteronomy reminds us to be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You see, they were praying for deliverance from slavery, right? But read the story in the Bible of the people of Israel. So quickly, their prayer requests just became expectations down the road. Today's gratitudes often become tomorrow's expectations, but the spiral gets worse because, number two, today's expectations often become tomorrow's complaints. I'm certain you've seen this process unfold in your life, where one day you're praying for something, you find that it is met at some point in your life, and then at some point, that very thing you'd been praying for becomes something you complain about. Anybody besides me feeling like maybe this is a little too early and hits a little too close to home? There are a lot of reasons that we spiral away from gratitude. But it really is a choice. So I want to ask you, I asked a number of years ago, I want to ask you a, a similar question. Do you know your GQ? Not, not that GQ. Right? Do you know your gratitude quotient? What's the gratitude quotient of your soul? With that in mind, I want to read for us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. By the way, while I'm there, I want to say publicly, uh, thank you to Warren for bringing the word last Sunday. Um, very appreciated, and you did a very good job. I, um, I got home. I, didn't, I was traveling the day uh, on Sunday, and so I was not able to worship with you online. But as soon as I was back, I, I worshiped with you online. And um, brother, you always bring a good word, and thank you for using your gift. So we've talked about in the series, right, that our identity, soul care, is defined by love, that I, I am loved by God, that I am the beloved of God. 
and that I am graced by God, and that grace and love become sort of the anchors of my soul and my soul care. But out of that come some dispositions of the heart, some attitudes of the soul. And one of those was joy, and Warren talked to us about that last week. But the next sort of natural overflow in our souls from love and grace is a sense of gratitude. Let me show that to you. Luke chapter 17, I'm going to work my way slowly through the text, and then I'm going to make the point I want to make today, and then I want to go back through it one more time and just help us apply it a little bit to today, Mother's Day. So Luke chapter 17, verse 11, now on his way to Jerusalem, a couple of weeks ago, you might remember, it said something similar to us. It is reminding us that Jesus is barreling towards Jerusalem and therefore barreling towards a cross where he will die for our sins. It's a choice, and a choice he made. And that choice is never far from his mind. He is on his way to Jerusalem, but he is interrupted in the story. It says, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So you have to understand a little bit of the sort of location in this part of the world. The Jewish people, especially those centered out of Jerusalem, really thought of those northerners um, not well. You see, those northerners were like up in Galilee and Capernaum, and that's where Jesus did a lot of his ministry, and there were a lot of Gentiles up there, and they didn't particularly like those folks that were up that way. But in between Galilee and Jerusalem, remember he's on his way to Jerusalem, is Samaria. And the Jewish people particularly did not like the Samaritans. In fact, if you study this deeply, you find that, frankly, there is some racism going on not just religious hatred. It, it, it is both, at least among some of the people. And as he was going into a village in the region between Samaria and Galilee, he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So you have to understand a bunch of things just going on here. One, I bet none of you have ever had leprosy. I could be wrong. Still exists in the world. We would call it today Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease shows up with these skin lesions, this crusty stuff on the skin that begins to grow and begins to take over your skin. But it has underlying it a nerve component such that in these white patches of skin, you begin to not be able to feel anything in that spot. And this would spread over the body, and you could not hide it. It would grow on the face. It would grow on the hands. So in that day, they had no idea what to do about this. Today, Hansen's disease, it's a, I believe it's a bacterial, bacterial-born disease. It's treatable. But back then, it was not. And it was highly contagious. And they knew it was highly contagious. And so the law required that people with this disease stay away from everyone else. But it gets worse. It required them to constantly announce their disease and their shame. Everywhere they went, when people would approach them, they were to yell, unclean, unclean. And they were to stay at a distance. So notice in the story, it says they stood at a distance but they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, 
Master, have pity on us. This disease was particularly shameful. In time, it would attack the internal organs. Nerve endings became numb so that the victim cannot tell when something's hurting them. And so often, those with leprosy would have other things that would cause other infections. I mean, think about it. If you cannot feel your hand, but you use your hand, then you don't know when your hand has forced itself into the knife. Or you don't know when your hand has picked up the hot pot or the hot... And so easily, those with leprosy would end up with... Um, sort of secondary diseases, things that would, that would also bring bacteria, also would leave them unclean. I got to be honest, over the last years of COVID, I've sort of been taken back mentally a little bit to how difficult this must have been for those folks. Can you imagine... How difficult it would have been to be required to be the prophet of your own uncleanness. As I read somewhere this week, the herald of your own unworthiness before God and others. Imagine the burden of having to tell everyone you encountered that you were unclean. Publicly. Loudly. This would become the defining characteristic of your life. You would be shuttered away from your family, away from those you love... And frankly, away from God. Because you were unclean, you were not allowed to go anywhere near the temple, anywhere near the temple area, anywhere near... You were unclean. Of course, most of us today don't walk around shouting unclean everywhere we go. Except, we, maybe we do inside of us. I have a stinking suspicion. Did I say stinking? That everywhere we go, we say things, we shout things to ourselves that we don't say out loud to others. Of course, our world has a lot of ways of processing our own uncleanness. Sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes we celebrate it, culturally speaking. Sometimes we announce it in shame. But probably more often than not, we hide it. Lepers in that day were called the walking dead. I read about a guy who one time said that he read this story for the first time as a child, and he thought, or he heard it in church, and he thought the preacher said leopards. Leopards. And with a D. So when he heard the story, he imagined Jesus with a bunch of cats. Couldn't understand why the cats were unclean. As he grew up, he said, I thought they were saying leapers. So I like, you know, 10 lords of leaping. He said, I'm picturing all these guys leaping around Jesus. They were called the walking dead because it was pretty well guaranteed what was going to happen. By the way, I just want to mention this. This doesn't exactly have to do with the story, but I think it's worth pointing out. Most of us think we would rather feel nothing than feel great pain. Do you know anybody running from pain? Yeah, that would be everybody with any gray. 
Anybody with a knee, anybody with a back, anybody with a... We think the worst thing in the world is to feel pain. But the leapers, the leopards, the lepers would disagree. Because the lepers felt nothing. Again, I want you to think numbness. And they injured themselves because they could not feel pain. In fact, the lepers had what we often try to achieve through drugs, through alcohol, through various forms of escape. That we try to numb the pain away, and you know as well as I do, the pain we're often numbing away is not the pain that's out here, it's the pain that's in here. And of course, leprosy didn't necessarily numb the soul like alcohol and drugs do, but I would imagine that the way these lepers felt was numbing to their soul. I don't really like admitting this, but God has a purpose in pain. Right? Pain is often a warning sign or something on the dashboard of life reminding us to stop doing something. There is a gift in pain in that pain is carried through our nerves. Really, pain is just the brain's interpretation of something coming through our nerves. This might be a difficult pill to swallow, but I think I should give it to us anyway. There are reasons to be grateful for our pain. I really don't like writing that. There are reasons to be grateful for our pain. In fact, if we go much deeper, there are kinds of pain in this life we should embrace. And I want to come back to a pain I mentioned earlier in the service, the pain of grief. Often we want to numb that. We want to harden our hearts and harden our souls to that, thinking that I just don't want to feel this way anymore. But in grief, when we embrace our pain, there's a place where we find gratitude. Someone has said that grief is just love with no place to go. In the end, ignoring our grief is burying our love. It's numbing ourselves to love And what happens in time as we begin to harden that part of ourselves, right, is we begin to harden not only the capacity to feel pain, but the capacity to feel love. And so there's a place to embrace pain, to choose gratitude and grief, to lay our souls bare before God. In fact, I would suggest that for many of us, the very lid that we can't break through in our walk with God, the very wall we don't know how to get past has something to do with pain in our souls that we've been numbing away for some time. In the end, I think we have to learn to live with our grief before God and live our grief with God. We end up in a far healthier place with our grief, with God, when we, when, we, when we don't pretend it doesn't exist. When it, when it becomes, gosh, good grief. Think about it in terms of nerves, physically. Those same nerves that run through my body that tell me what pain is are the same nerves that tell 
my body what pleasure is. You ever, you ever burned your tongue, you know? I saw an ad for Hot Pockets the other day. It was like, have you posted about burning your tongue on Hot Pockets? I'm like, this was their ad. I'm like, how is this making me want to go buy Hot Pockets? But I burned my tongue on plenty of things besides Hot Pockets. You know, after you, here we go. Everybody get the ball? All right, we'll come back to it. Stay. I've burned my tongue many times. I've noticed when I burn my tongue, I don't taste things very well. Same nerves that carry pain carry pleasure. The same nerves that carry pain in our souls carry joy, carry gratitude, carry love, carry compassion, carry kindness, carry grace. So it says these guys stood at a distance because they were required to. In fact, religiously they were required to. And they were not allowed ever to go to the presence of God at the temple or the synagogue or any place like that. I'm going to keep reading. It says, when Jesus saw them, he said, verse 14, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, this wouldn't be allowed to go to the priests because they're unclean. But it says, as they went, they were cleansed. So that would allow them to go to the priest. Actually, the law said that if you were somehow cleansed of the disease, it was required that you go to the priest to be declared clean so that you could reenter society and reengage in a place of worship, so that you could be among the people again. So Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest. But it says, as they went, they were cleansed. In other words, they had to do some obedience to experience what Jesus was unfolding in their life. You know, we too often have to take some steps to begin to experience what it is that Jesus is in game, is trying to unfold in our lives. And we often don't want to take the steps. And then we go, well, why isn't God doing anything? But one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back. And I got to thinking that this week. Was that before he went to the priest or after he went to the priest? Because it doesn't exactly say. And one of them, when he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. So think about it. If you went and showed yourself to the priest, the priest was God's representative. So you were showing to God that you were clean. But this man turns around and comes to Jesus And claims out in a loud voice, praising God. He threw himself at Jesus' feet. I think what this is telling us is he is acknowledging that the very God the priests represent is Jesus himself, God in the flesh. And so instead of going to the priest, he goes to Jesus. Which theologically, if you really want to go off the deep end, Jesus is the high priest that represents us before God. And Jesus is the God. And I think about it. On the cross, Jesus is the sacrifice. Everything sort of outlined and unfolded for us back here in the beginning of the book is fulfilled in Jesus. It's quite remarkable if you think about it. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And notice it adds this. And he was a Samaritan. So remember what I told you. That how did the Jewish people feel about Samaritans? 
Yeah, they didn't like him to the point that many of them, and I, I suggested, and I'm not the only guy to say this. There are many people who would say this, that there was deep-rooted racism involved. There was sort of religious hatred involved. But if you understand how the Samaritans came about and where those peoples emerged from, there was some racism involved in what was going on here. And Jesus crosses all of those divides. Jesus crosses over all those things that tend to separate people, all those divides that tend to put people into groups and categories and, and I don't know, tribes or, or however you want to say it, all the ways we divide ourselves as humans. Jesus says, I love those people too. I love these people too. These are my people too. And he is saying to his disciples, you should love them too. Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Now, the emphasis here would seem to be that the other nine were Jewish. They knew more of what they should do. Where are the other nine? Has, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Now, again, this sounds, this is starting to sound with like, that's uncomfortable language to read. But no, Jesus has just healed this man. And he is now accepting worship from this man who fell at his feet and is praising God. And he says to the man, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And in your Bible, you might want to circle that word well. Is the, the made you well is, is really just one word in the original language. It's, it's the same word we use to say saved. It's, it's your faith has saved you. And so it seems like this man has had a deeper life-altering experience with Jesus, and I would suggest it's because he's acknowledged that Jesus is God, his God, and Jesus accepts worship from this man. And I'm just reminded over and over and over of the power of Jesus to cross all those human barriers and to not only go to crossing those human barriers but to remind us to do the same. The idea of a Samaritan leper, leaper, leopard, however you hear it, receiving God's help was shocking to many because they'd written off both lepers and Samaritans as being unworthy of God. Boy, have you ever met a church that runs like that? A church who's decided who's unclean and who's out? Yeah, me too. It's sickening, isn't it? Let's never be that church. Never. So he sends him back to the priest, right? Jesus is suggesting or saying that all the, though the ten have experienced the blessing of healing, only this guy has had faith and has established some kind of ties with Jesus that seem to indicate the experience of salvation. So before you read this and you think, look, I don't have leprosy and it's mom's day. I don't know what we're talking about. This has nothing to do with me. I would remind you that I too have a deadly problem I cannot fix, but it's not leprosy. It's sin and death. And if you're just curious because you're here and you're not so sure what I'm talking about, sin is all those ways we fall short. It's not just the wrongs we do in this world. It's all the things we fail to do that we should do right. 
I too need to call out to Jesus for not only healing but salvation. And I too need to step out in faith among the crowd. And I too need gratitude to bring wholeness to my soul. And I too need to spend time at the feet of Jesus with just deep gratitude. See, gratitude is, this is the whole thing I've been trying to drive to today. Gratitude is inconvenient. I wouldn't deny that. But gratitude is incredibly soul-cleansing and incredibly soul-changing. At some level, I can't come to Jesus in repentance. I can't come to Jesus for salvation without gratitude for what he has done for me. He died on the cross for my sins. They buried him in a borrowed grave. And on the third day, he came back to life. I, I have to have gratitude about that. In fact, the longer I walk as a Christian, the more gratitude that sort of springs up naturally in my soul, unless I'm numbing my soul to the pains of this world, to my shame, to my uncleanliness. See how this works? So those other nine experienced something deep from Jesus but they didn't let it change them enough to come back to Jesus and just say, thank you. And this man not only said thank you, he worshiped Jesus, I'm suggesting. Rise and go. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. We are obviously changed by salvation, but I don't want us to miss the point about gratitude. that this man had found a formula that would change him from the inside out for the rest of his life if he would just practice it. Just daily gratitude. You know, psychologists today tell us that sincere gratitude is one of the healthiest of all human emotions. In fact, there are many who would suggest that in terms of stress, gratitude produces more positive emotional energy than any other attitude in life. So I want you to think about that. But where, where modern psychology says one of the best things for your soul is gratitude. Without any reference to God at all sort of involved. And you know, culturally, I mean, we, we got gratitude down, you know, because one day a year... Man, we know how to be gluttonous with gratitude, right? right? I mean, turkey and pie and the whole shebang. We got gratitude down. One day a year. But what if I practice gratitude every day? This would not be hard to do. I went to the store. I bought a ball of some kind, and I started attaching... Name tags to it. And here we are, we've gone from a little ball to a little bit bigger ball, but what would happen to my ball if every day I attached a piece or two of gratitude to it? I should have grabbed it. Julie, you have a similar ball with name tags over next door, right? What would happen to my ball? Yeah. Wouldn't it? Now, does it take time? to stop and think about my deeper gratitudes? Yeah, it's inconvenient. I'm busy. Who's got time for that? Well, the guy who knows 
that he needs his soul changed, makes time for it. In fact, I would suggest that you don't have to have a ball. You, you can have a jar, right? You, you can have a wall where you stick things on it. There's a lot of ways you could physically do this. But the bottom line is not that, oh, look at this neat little ball I've built. The point is that gratitude, gratitude isn't just like ball building, it's soul changing. Yeah, see, I started with a tennis ball, if I'm honest, right? right? You could start with a ping pong ball, you could start with whatever. This, this started with name tags, and it's just grown over the years, right? It's, uh, well, I, I guess I can't really say these names out loud, they're kids, right? right? We... But you get the idea, right? Think about if it's this changing physically, how changing is it to my soul to take time every day to express gratitude to God? So let me run back just one more time and make sure we get this. Actually, before I make these three last points and apply it, I want to make sure we understand what we're talking about. Gratitude is that sense of thankfulness, right? That probably goes without saying. We say that we should give Thanks. To go deeper, gratitude in Hebrew comes from a word that means to confess. It is to confess dependence, to acknowledge that the one you're thankful to has the power to benefit you, to admit that your life is better because of the efforts of another. Gratitude can mean to acknowledge or to recognize. It can mean to remember and not forget, like Deuteronomy told us. It can be to confess dependence. Gratitude can be to elevate, to lift up. There are cultures in which the word gratitude can mean to say the name of. Because when you say the name of someone else, you're expressing an admiration for them. Giving thanks is a choice. It's not a feeling that comes and goes. It's a choice that I have to choose every day to make with my life. Giving thanks requires effort. It will not happen automatically. And giving thanks, if we think about it, is an expression of the grace we've talked about and the love we've talked about over the last weeks. I want to show you something. Do we have a slide with a bunch of Greek words that make no sense? All right, can anybody read these words? Used to, yeah, yeah. All right, so one day a whole lot of years ago in seminary, I was taught this language. And you know how much I use it today, right? I said, it's a dead language. I don't speak it. But this first word is the word agapetas. And it, this would be loved, one who is loved. This is, this is the first word we actually started with in the series. I am loved by God. I am one who is loved. I am agapetas. I am the beloved of God. That's what this word means. We would think of this word showing up in the parable of the prodigal son, the father who rushes to the son because his beloved has come home. I am defined by this word, agapetos. But I want you to notice that this word is different than the following words. You can sort of see that. Even if you can't read these letters, this one begins with an X, except that's, that's a Z or a, a key, Kai, you know. 
This one begins with a chi key. This one begins with a chi key. And this one has a chi key uh, right in the middle of it. In fact, I want you to notice uh, there's key alpha. This, it looks like a P, but it's an R. Don't, don't ask me to explain. This is just the way other languages work, right? And so you have key alpha uh, rho. Thank you. Same letter, same letter, same letter with an I. Same letter, same letter, same letter. Same letter, same letter, same letter. You, you see, there's sort of a linguistic connection going on here if we really want to think deeply like, like, like linguistic. I just sounded like an English teacher, right? Right? This is the stuff they teach you when you go to seminary. You can say big words and people go, ooh, what, what are you talking about? So let me tell you, this means love. This means grace. This means joy or rejoice. Actually, this means joy. This means rejoice. This means gratitude. Grace, joy, rejoice, gratitude. I apologize, Rachel, wherever you are. I just put fingerprints all over the TV. Right in the middle of the word gratitude is joy and grace. In fact, it, it really, you is a prefix that means good. We're talking about good joy, good grace when we talk about gratitude. And just to make it even more fun, that bottom word, if you read it out loud, it's eucharisteo, like the Eucharist, like communion, like the Lord's Supper, that when we gather around the table and we celebrate the body broken for us and the blood spilled for us, I got to keep going because we're running out of time. So just three application points. I really want to make sure these stick. Number one, don't just be thankful to Jesus, or don't just be thankful for Jesus. Be thankful to Jesus. In fact, in my own notes, I crossed off be thankful, and I wrote give thanks to Jesus. It's got to be a physical expression, that it needs to physically come from my lips, not just something I feel in my soul. But I, when I hear it and say it and write it, it becomes an imprinted inside of me. This man made the effort to return and give thanks. Number two, I've got to slow down to give thanks. I've got to slow down to be thankful. This man on his way perhaps to the temple or his way back from the priest, where whichever side it happened on, decided to take time to give thanks to Jesus. We skip gratitude more times than not because we refuse to slow down. I told you that moms are always doing, right? But if we're not careful, we're so busy doing this that we forget to give thanks, right? You're like, oh, he can juggle two balls. What about three? Don't even ask. <laughs> Notice that nine of these men did not return to Jesus. One did. And number three, I would just remind us that thanksgiving and worship are twins. Thanksgiving and worship are twins. A huge part of what we do week in and week out on Sundays is an expression of worship, but it's also an expression of gratitude. There's a trend in our culture where we, we go to church when we feel up to it. We go to church when we feel like it. I mean, you've certainly heard that people go to church less often than they used to. Have you heard 
this. People in my world talk about it all the time, but we're so busy in our world because we got kids softball and kids soccer and kids this and kids that. We're so busy because our family's got so much going on. We're so sick of COVID. When the world began to open up, people are like, whoo, we can go back out in like public places again. And I get sick again. That is true. I simply want to remind us that it's almost like God knew I needed a rhythm where, 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 where every day of my life there was some gratitude expression and, and one in every seven days of my life, it's almost like God knew I needed a regular rhythm where I set aside time to give him glory and gratitude. It's almost like God knew it would be soul-cleansing and soul-changing, almost as if God knew that one day, if, wait till we get to Sabbath in this series. It's almost as if it's as God knew. Can we just say God knew? Gratitude, it's inconvenient, but it's amazingly, incredibly soul-cleansing, soul-changing. We always end our services with two prayers here at Harvest. We realize that at some level, all of us need to imply this. But we also love, acknowledge that at some level, even watching online, some of us might need to take the first step toward Jesus. Let me tell you, he's already taken all the steps towards you. He came, he entered our world, he lived, right? He lived a perfect life, he taught, he did miracles, he died on the cross, I mean, there's so much going on there, we, we can't even begin to comprehend it in a time like this. All my wrongs, all my sins, all the things I don't do that are right, all my shortcomings, all my failings, all my sins poured out on him on that cross. He took it. They buried him. He was dead. Three days later, he's gone. He wasn't stolen. He's alive because he's God in the flesh. It's what this man was acknowledging. So I want to ask you, have you come to that place where you've said to Jesus, you know what, I need that, I need you, I need that grace, I need that joy, I need that forgiveness, I need that, I want to be the beloved of God. You can, right here, right now. Pray like this. If this is you, just pray this along with me in your soul, even online. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you that it was personal. Please forgive me for living for myself. I turn to you. And I believe in you. And I thank you that you are alive. And Jesus, I ask you to take over my life and be my God and fill me with your love. Fill me with your grace. Help me to follow you. Save me. Take me. Change me. In Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you, we celebrate that. I mean, big time we celebrate that. In fact, in the coming weeks, we're going to celebrate baptism. If baptism is the public declaration that we have made that decision of follow Jesus, that we've asked him to forgive our sins. It's our publicly identifying with Jesus that, you know, we go down under the water, we're picturing his death and burial. We come up out of the water, we're picturing his resurrection. We're publicly identifying with Jesus Christ and what he has done for us.
We'd love, love, love to talk with you about baptism. We'd love to talk with you about salvation. We'd love to talk with you about just church and what it means to be a Christian. You just got to let me know. There's a digital communication card online. You can let me know there in the room. You can always find me after service. You can tell somebody who invited you. They would love to know and talk with you about it. You can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurcheugene.com. I think a lot of you prayed that prayer probably sometime in your past, and yet this morning you realize gratitude is, you know, you need to, your soul needs a little more gratitude stuck to it. If that's you, would you pray this prayer of application with me? Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me anyway. In spite of my, my failure to set aside time to be grateful. Thank you doesn't seem like words enough. So slow me down and make gratitude a daily rhythm in my soul. Help me to tune into your presence, to see you in my world and my life every single day. Help me to see your work around me and to live my life as an offering of thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you guys. More importantly, God loves you guys and girls. I, I, I'm you guys, you all. God loves you. I'm so glad you're here. Moms, happy Mother's Day. There's uh, special treats for moms today and special gifts for moms today. And so uh, we want you to enjoy all of that. You'll, you'll get that as you go out today. But happy Mother's Day. We love you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you online as well. We'll see you next week.